Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Disability Dish, the UML Perspective. My name is Janelle Diaz. This is episode four. I am co-hosting with... Hi, everybody. I'm Jody Rachens. I'm the Director of Disability Services here. My pronouns are she, her. And we're really excited today to talk with a really wonderful group of people. And we're, our topic today is transitions because as we know the commencement and the bringing in of the new crew of students is sort of right upon us so while we don't always talk about um, just UML in this conversation um, we know that this is a time where people in general just start to think about um, new chapters of their lives so we thought it would be an interesting time to talk about some new chapters um, so just to step back for a second, uh, one major initiative for this office is that we like to use our collective skills to reach the community beyond accommodations. So, um, you know, we really like to find ways to support our fellow disability community members, whether at the university, outside networks, our everyday lives. So um, we really want to work with everybody to have a huge effort to reduce stigma and shame around disability. So we've used this opportunity to flip the script to highlight the uncountable strengths that can show through various disabilities. So one of the initiatives that we're in the middle of is this monthly podcast, which really just gives us an opportunity to provide representation and discussion around various interesting topics on disability. And just a disclaimer, this is just a discussion, conversation. These are our opinions and perspectives on this episode's topic. Um, so just to start, I'm gonna have each of you state your name, your role at the university, and your relationship with the word disability. And anyone can start. Marshall, I'm looking at you. Let's do it. Oh, Erin was taking off her record. Her, yeah. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, uh, hello. Um, my name is Marshall Greenleaf. I'm the director of Student and Family Support Services. Um, I've been at the university for 14 years, um, one year in my current role. And then prior to that, I worked for 13 years in the Office of Residence Life. Um, and I think my relationship uh, with the word disability um, so I think in my role um, and in, in the work that we do, uh, making sure that um, the programs and services and opportunities that we offer um, are accessible to everyone um, and figuring out ways to remove any sort of barriers and, and to really reach for that kind of universal design mentality of, of making sure that anyone who wants to participate um, can participate and being mindful of that and, and carrying that with us throughout all that we do. Hi everyone, my name is Erin Keen Kraus. I'm the Senior Director of Orientation and Enrollment Events and I use the she, her, hers pronouns. And so I've been at the university for 18 years. Um, I've kind of been in a handful of different departments but have really found my home within the orientation and enrollment events world, which just means that I'm overseeing kind of that entire onboarding process, whether it's a campus tour, open house, welcome day or orientation over the summer. Um, my relationship with the word disability is kind of 
twofold. One, it's ensuring that everything we do as a department is welcoming, accessible to a variety of needs of both our students and their families, um, whether it is a um, traditionally visible disability, but also a lot of hidden disabilities. So making sure that we're taking those into account as well. Um, and then the other half is that I just as an individual, I have two hidden disabilities. One is being hard of hearing and the other is autoimmune related. And so just understanding that um, it's a very layered conversation and, and the needs of everybody is very individual. Hi, my name is Sunita Stankoma. I'm a graduate student in biomedical engineering. And um, my relation with the word disability is like though I may have had like some complications, it's to like use that and always look as a positive role model for yourself and then just overcome the obstacle, but make sure that you understand that regardless of like what you're like going through in life, like you should try to always take care of yourself and like make a, a good way forward to like reaching your goals despite what you're going through. Thanks, Sunita. Can I put you on the spot and can you list your various degrees from uh, this university? Because I think you have quite a few. <laughs> yeah, I have like, um, like quite a few. <laughs> I have an economics degree. I have a chemical engineering and biological engineering degree. And now this semester I'm graduating with the biomedical engineering and biotechnology degree and master's. <laughs> so just a tiny bit of learning at UML, no big deal. Yeah, just, just, you know, <laughs> just, you know, happened on the way. Yeah. Just happened. A pastime you know? of learning constantly, no biggie. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but you're thinking of doing PhD then like, yeah, it's whatever, yeah. it's fine. <laughs> And you're you we know you were part of our honor society, so you're graduating with you know honors too. So that's really amazing. <laughs> um, that extra applause. Applause! Oh, applause! Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so um, I'm just gonna kind of ask, and we just sort of play the old popcorn style. Not everybody has to answer every question, but um, and we'll just kind of let the conversation unfold naturally, but. Um, you know, when we reached out to you and you heard that we were focusing on transitions, um, can anybody share just some initial thoughts on why this topic is important and sort of what your experiences might bring to this conversation? Yeah, I can for me. So in my world with orientation and campus visits kind of from the start for students, this topic is really important because we really want to make sure that our university is accessible um, and meets the needs of our students, you know, and not putting out something that we're not, right? And so it's also not making assumptions. And so it's looking at the visitor experience from the point of receiving the first communication from us to the point of enrolling in classes. And so what are all the pieces that entails? Um, is our website clear and concise? You know, are students able to find the information they need there? Are we making sure that any venue that we use has multiple access points with multiple different um, ways to gain access? Are we making sure that restroom facilities are 
are taken into consideration, always making sure that microphones are available. So really just kind of looking at what we do um, in that world. And I say that too, because everything that is housed from our office is strictly about the transition from either high school to college or a different university to college. And so that's kind of the name of the game. It's just, it's just transition. Onboarding is another fancy word for transition. So that is the business that we are in is making sure that that process is as smooth as possible um, because it's so stressful anyway. There's no need to add layers to something that's already complicating and can be anxiety producing. So for me, I was just like, yes, that's the name of what we're, what we're about. <laughs> you were a natural ask when we thought yeah. about this stuff. <laughs> oh, I think it's also so important because I also think transitions are constant. And especially if we think about like our experience at a university or higher ed, how transitions are happening all the time. And so a lot of the work that we do, um, specifically when we work with parents and families and supporters, is helping prep conversations and dialogue around all of these sort of transitions, you know. And so I know, I know, um, Janelle and Jody, you mentioned the, you know, the big ones of like starting school and then when school's over and you're transitioning out. But it's it's funny because I, and uh, just thinking about some different emails and and things that we shared this week about even going home after the semester if you've lived on campus and how that's a transition or mm -hmm. the transition of all new classes or like I'm not around my friends anymore. Um, so I think it's, it's we think of those big transitions and then I think those little transitions are always happening to us, especially just with how the university calendar works. Mm -hmm. Right, and I think in your world too, Marshall, it's not just a transition for the students, but a transition for everyone around them. So their guardians, um, you know, parents, people are close to them, so yeah. Marshall, you bring up a funny point. I can't help remembering, you know, maybe my first summer after freshman year of, of college and I came home and had to follow household rules again. Yeah. And it was like an area of contention where I was like, are you kidding me? Like I just spent nine months like making my own decision. We didn't even have cell phones back then, you know? So it was like, uh, you know, I, you don't know what I was doing with my time. And now I have to like, check in with you because I went to the gym, um, you know, and I remember that, that being a transition just to reacclimate back with sort of family dynamics and, and stuff like that. So it's a good point. Oh, absolutely. Like curfew. <laughs> what do you mean curfew? Yeah. I don't have a curfew anymore. <laughs> so you're absolutely right that there's all kinds of transitions to be thinking about where life is so fluid, right? Um, <laughs> Okay, so um, how would you define a life transition? I mean, I think to go along with Marshall's point, it's almost every 24 hours, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's so much is going on all the time. And I think the last two years have really proven that everything is changing constantly. So I think we can call out the big ones um, but I also think that it's just, it feels almost daily at this point with so many things that are going on. For sure, and sometimes you don't even have to anticipate a transition and it can happen, right? Exactly. Well, I think it's, it, you know, it's what's disrupting our patterns and kind of our regular mode of operation. 
um, you know, from the day to day and, and changes and anytime there has to be a change in our process or our systems or the way we like to go about things. I think, you know, for me thinking about transitions, it's about that adjustment um, and that redefining how things happen or how they go or where I am. And we as people are like, we're um, pretty wired to resist change. Um, I know, Judy, you had uh, pulled up some uh, research about like life quakes and how, you know, it causes sometimes turmoil and anxiety. Um, and how, you know, we as just human beings like the state of having balance of feeling comfortable. Yeah, there was an, ex, you know, when we pick a topic, I like to kind of just do like a little basic research just to make sure that like what I think we're going to talk about, like aligns with what the like world thinks about it. And so there was a, a concept that somebody had uh, called like that transitions are called life quakes, um, like kind of like earthquakes and that they can have different levels of sort of small shakes or very, very large shakes um, and, and kind of disaster they may leave behind or just minor interruptions. Um, and I, you know, I kind of appreciated that term. I felt like that was, um, I responded well to that, but yeah, you know, we, we like stability or any lack of stability, our, our, our minds go sort of into a fight or flight mode. Although, it kind of feels constant, especially like you said, Aaron, in the last couple of years is sort of like every week felt like, you know, um, we're back into some kind of fight or flight mode in terms of like how we um, are seeing our, what is normal. What is normal has certainly gotten quaked, quaked up um, for the past two years. Uh, so I think that's, a, that's a, a good point. One of the things that I read that I really appreciated too regardless of whether we can anticipate a transition. So anticipating graduating from college or graduating with a higher degree than that, um, you know, or changing jobs or where you live, um, or if it comes up suddenly and it's out of, you know, out of our hands and it just happens, there's we're sort of three transitional questions that I thought were kind of neat. There was um, thinking to yourself, what do I or did I need to leave behind in a transition? what do I or did I need to bring with me to this transition? And is what will I need to add to my life? And I thought those were, were kind of neat, neat thoughts to think about as either it just happened and here we are, or we're anticipating it and thinking about it because it is a chance to kind of reevaluate at any given time. I absolutely love that. And I also love the term life quake. Yeah. I think I'm going to start using that. Yeah. So thank you. <laughs> but that makes me think, um, in my office, we've been reading um, some different articles about family system theory, mm. which is used in counseling a lot. But um, for our purposes, in terms of working with parents and families through transitions um, and, and through the college experience, this idea of homeostasis and knowing like, this is what my life is like. This is what my relationships are like. And then when something changes, the, the want and like that feeling to automatically want to revert back to that feeling of homeostasis or mm -hmm. balance from what we know and how establishing kind of newer updated or different homeostasis like huge challenge i literally wrote down those three comments that you are those three questions i think that that's really beneficial and i i think what's well this an amazing thing about transitions is it gives you that opportunity to ask yourself questions and to reflect and kind of think things through. 
um, once you get to a little bit more of a balanced state. I don't know that that's possible in the moment all of the time, but I think that, right, while it's quaking, maybe not, but maybe a couple of days later. Um, but I think that those are really great just in the sense of making sure that you, you can reestablish what balance means to go along with Marshall. It doesn't have to be the same thing, but what does it mean now and what do you do with that? So I think that, that those three questions are awesome. I love that. Sunita, can I put you on the spot and see if you've got any kind of thoughts rolling around? You're, you're, you're facing a big transition. Um, I would say that life transitions can actually be completely unexpected. And like sometimes like you just weren't expecting to see like a certain experience to come your way. Like, and then like with life transitions, like, like it's not also expected that if this suddenly happens to you that you're just and expected to just change yourself immediately. Like you just have to try to accommodate yourself and try to see like, what's like the best suited for you and like for your loved ones and like to making like the best transition. And I also think like, like when these things happen, it's always like a good idea to like ask for help and like, just like find like your best guidance in a good direction. Yeah, that's 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 all I can think of. I'm sorry. Like, that's that's a great no. That's a great point. I think you're right that we, in 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 the moment, just figuring out what to prioritize, and and it gives us a chance to reflect of what matters the most and who needs to be taken care of the most. Um, aside from yourself in in a transition and in a moment, um, you know, and then and kind of let and I think you're you're right too to make sure that we're kind and patient with ourselves that just because something changes in front of us, about us, um, we may not change right away. You're absolutely right. And, it, and similar to what Aaron said too, it might take a little bit of time to, you know, to adjust. And Marshall was saying that, you know, you, 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 you may, you know, need a little time to adjust to a new norm. Um, and that's, that's a really good point to remember. We kind of talked a bit about how transitions can be planned or unexpected. Do we have any specific examples that come to mind um, in everyday life or within the higher education setting for life transitions that someone can experience? I'm assuming, Sunia, you're graduating from the context that Jody provided. <laughs> yeah, I'm graduating this semester, yes. Fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. And do you feel like you're in a transitional state right now, like a planned transitional state? Yes, because like, so I like my initial goal was to get like a job within this state. And then I keep getting offers in another state. So <laughs> I'm, just like, I'm just like, okay, I'm, I'm trying to figure things out. And then the project, the research project that I, I actually worked on two research projects this semester and they still expect me to work on it this summer, though I'm not, you know, I'm gonna be a student in the summer. So I guess I have to figure something out. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot to juggle. 
Are yes. you doing that asking for help thing you just advised everybody else to do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, I mean, like the thing is, like I told my professor today and then I don't really, I think it's because it's an ongoing research and it's like a newly innovated machine that we're working with. And like not everyone gets, like not all universities will have like the opportunity to see this machinery. Like, I also see it as an opportunity because it'll allow me to engage in like further research. So it's like hard to say no, but at the same time, like technically, like I should be working full time. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess we'll see what happens. We'll see what transitions will be occurring at that point. That's an interesting point about about boundaries, right? Um, and figuring out how to say yes and to say no and to figure out the, those boundaries. I think that those do happen in transitions. You know, I just started working here in November and, and whenever I've left a job, I've sort of tried to figure out how to say to the former job, contact me if you if you have questions that you can't answer or you need me, but you know, also knowing that um, there's kind of a middle place for that to be the most appropriate and how much, you know, that I should be relied on and when everybody should be able to kind of move into their own spaces and, and so forth. And so, you know, figuring out those sort of boundaries um, and, and focus on any kind of transition is important too. And it can be hard to say no. Sounds like you're torn personally as well as sort of professionally on this one. <laughs> I can go. I think um, in higher ed specifically, transitions in terms of the administrator or faculty staff level, it can feel very cyclical. So there are some things, you know, Marshall said he's been here for 14 years. I've been here for 18 years. There's some things that happen every year. Students come, students go home for breaks or have different break plans, and then they graduate. Um, And so I think those are on our end, those are not surprising transitions that take place, right? It's part of our job, part of what we do. But I think where it can get unexpected or where we as those administrators and faculty really need to make sure we're keeping um, everything to the forefront of our mind is that that's our perspective. But Mm -hmm. for the people coming in or for the people who are stepping out based on commencement, that's new. And so as much as we can feel like something is cyclical, um, it's not for the people who are coming in. You know, I think about the world of orientation and we do nine overnight sessions. And that's a lot if you're an orientation leader. And the thing we always say is, you know, at that ninth session, it's your ninth one as a staff member. You're probably tired. You're probably a little, you know, maybe burnt out. But for those students, it's their first. And so giving the respect to have that same level of energy and that same level of excitement that you did back in June, right? And so I think those, that's pretty important for us to remember is that those transitions are are fresh and brand new. And whether that's a you know, positive or negative, it's not for us to say for those students. It's kind of really making sure we're leaning into um, the information they're providing us, whether it's verbal information, nonverbal information, and whatnot in terms of how that experience is going for them and being there to support with that. I think everyday life in terms of things that we think of in terms of transitioning, I think that it, that is real life to a lot of degree. And then I think, you know, same thing, everybody's transition is a lot different outside of 
whether it's being a student or whether it's being faculty or staff, what we all have going on externally um, is completely different. So making sure that we understand that not everybody has the luxury to leave that at the door, but that those things, you know, the transition may be caring for someone in the family or, um, you know, whatever it may be, but that can't be left at the door. And so making sure that, you know, that's honored in everything that we do within the university. Yeah. And I think also, you know, when we think about transitions, you know, there are things we can plan for, and then there are those surprise transitions um, mm -hmm. that can really throw you off. So I even think about like my time in residence life where, you know, students get ready for the transition of living on campus, but then what if you have a roommate problem and like three weeks in you change rooms and you're in a completely new building again, even though you've already, you know, moved in and only been on campus for three weeks? Or what if one of your classes isn't what you were expecting and then you had to drop it or you had to change your schedule around after already getting here? And so I think, you know, part of, part of it is figuring out how you roll kind of with those changes. Mm -hmm. um, because I know for me, it's like, if I know an, if I know a big transition is coming up, I can plan, I can like talk myself down from being like super anxious and worried and nervous about it. Um, but then when those surprises happen, like it can really throw you for a loop and that can be really tough to, to um, work with or to make that fit into everything else that you're already experiencing. And so, you know, I think knowing yourself and, and being self-reflective in terms of, you know, in those moments, what is it I need? Okay, I know I'm going to feel a lot of different things during it. Like, if I just go down to like this one transition that was unexpected, what do I need to be able to move forward in an okay way? Mm -hmm. I love that, Marshall, because I, I'm a little bit opposite in that, where I don't necessarily do a lot of thinking up to transitions. And then in my world of events, things pop up all the time and major changes happen on the fly. And I'm so good in those moments. I can handle it. It doesn't stress me out. But then you get me like three hours later when the adrenaline has worn off and it's like a whole different ball game of doing that self-talk and being like, it's okay. We made it through. Um, so I just think that that's a really, I really like how you brought that up and just kind of, you know, the timing of things is so interesting. You kind of going off of that, like as a person that identifies as having a disability um, and going through life transitions, I feel like I'm like such a planner and then like Marshall can attest to this. I am type A all the way um, <laughs> where I need everything kind of set out and I need to know what I'm doing because having things kind of thrown at me sporadically or unexpectedly really like throws me off. And I'm like, okay, well, I didn't plan for that. And that's just because I usually have to plan for everything in advance. Um, so that like, I'm like, I get all flustered when things come up and I'm like, no, like this is not what I planned for, but it's something I work on, right? So. Yeah, I think that kind of leads to, you know, the kind of the core of what we like to get to in these topics is sort of thinking about various disabilities and sort of what impacts transitions may have. Um, we each of the podcast episodes we've had so far, we end up sort of piecing out to the di difference between the disabilities that are really seen by others as well as sort of the hidden disability land. And so for me, I think about, and kind of thinking about what you're saying, Erin, that 
Um, I have Crohn's disease, which is mostly very under control and well medicated, but you know, like a chronic stress kind of scenario can, um, you know, flare up the, you know, the stomach stuff and, and kind of bring on, you know, some symptomatic stuff that um, on a normal basis, I, I may be under really, really under control. And so, you know, in a, in a planned transition, there's, a, there have more tools in the toolbox to kind of make sure that, you know, my, my health doesn't go to the wayside, but I'm thinking of like, the March 2020 form of life when, you know, there was so very much to not know about and be able to plan for and expect and sort of thinking about how that high level of stress um, adding on to, you know, then adding kind of medical flare up stuff going on because it was so stressful that, you know, there, there was like a chicken and an egg situation. I still can't piece out to this day, but kind of knowing about that. Um, so, you know, thinking about some of the other impacts of different disabilities or conditions and, and how transitions may play in. I think, I think you bring up a good point, you know, with, for me, like I said, I've got a couple of hidden things are invisible. Um, one of which is, as I said, being hard of hearing masks are awful. I can't pick up any lip reading with masks, but then on top of it, I also can't wear my hearing aids because the string of the mask mm. is to, you know, there's just other symptoms that go along with it. Right. So, so it's, it's adapting, right? It's figuring out, yeah. okay, what is the best way to go about this? What, which priority is more important right now? Yeah. You know, if it's, if there are situations um, where there's, for example, pain on top of something else, which one has the bigger weight in that moment and, mm -hmm. and understanding too, that that could be fluid depending on the situations that it might be, you know, what in this situation, whether it's in class or something else, um, you know, wearing hearing aids is more important. So I need to figure out something else with a mask, whether it's like tying it a different way or whatever, or there are other situations where it's like, I'm just going in the grocery store not as critical here. So just kind of being using your toolkit and whatever that is to, to begin to learn so that those huge changes become minute adjustments instead. And what does that process look like? Which is very personal to every, you know, every human and their support system. Cause there a lot of times it doesn't just impact one person. It impacts multiple. Like I think of my mm -hmm. two children who you know, they're just like, wow, mama has bad ears. Cause I'm always, you know, now that I'm not wearing hearing aids, I'm like, what, what? No, I really do <laughs> want to know what you're saying. And so just kind of understanding that it, there's this ripple that goes with it. And how are you, without needing to be the educator on your own disability, how do you make sure that those around you can support and embrace what works best for you in that moment? Mm -hmm. And you're trying to figure it out yourself. Like sure. you were flying by the seat of your right. floor right. as well. No one's ever asked you to wear a long-term mask uh, before right. this period. Right. Of life. So yeah. Yeah. So I would definitely agree with Erin and say that uh, for some disabilities, like like not a lot of people understand it. So for example, like. A lot of people know that diabetes is a very dangerous type of problem, right? However, when you explain to someone that like 
this really affect, can affect my vision and this can be deadly. Like it doesn't seem too obvious because like diabetes is not something someone can actually see. Mm-hmm. Like they get that you're trying to explain like, like high, very high blood sugar can strongly affect me. Cause like I can like lose my vision or like they can like, there's like so many like counter effects with diabetes, but I don't know, like, you could try. I guess it's always important to try to educate. I guess it's always important to try to educate other people, but I guess it's always a a goal that we have to make ourselves aware and have other people try to understand it as best as we could, just so they can understand the position that we're in. And I think, to be fair, that we we can and we should try but that's also exhausting right like you want to also enter a space where you don't have to do that and people just kind of automatically take into consideration the the varying needs and you don't have to educate or teach people that that it's just kind of a part of the process instead it's automatically in place mm-hmm. and i think aside from educating too i think access Right, access to even have the opportunity to educate someone because um, some people may not have access to even have a big life transition in general because um, they may not have the resources available to them or the support systems to support them in that life transition. Uh, so there's a lot of you know barriers that can really come into play. I think that's such a great point, Janelle, and it. It, it makes me think of a lot of conversations I've had specifically with parents and families about even just being aware about what the resources are um, because you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not super familiar with like how a university works or the systems or you know all of the different levels of operation, like it can even be hard sometimes to know like where do I start if I want to advocate for myself mm-hmm. or if I want to share information or find out information. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and um, you know, for those who don't know, Janelle, Janelle and I used to work together in residence life. And so I definitely appreciate Janelle's like super planning because we always had like a plan, a backup plan and a backup backup plan, <laughs> which was like super helpful. Um, but I think, you know, in, the, in those situations or in terms of being able to prepare, um, like even just knowing like, okay, you know, if, if I were to have a problem or if I did need to access some resources, just knowing like, who to call or where that like landing spot could be to start those conversations. I think that can take away so much like stress and anxiety and difficulty in a transition, just knowing like, okay, if I need it, this is how I would access some resources or some help. Mm-hmm. 100%, I definitely agree. And I just like think about like transitions for you know people in general, right? Whether it's going to college, buying a house, buying a car, and then having access needs on top of that, or you know, having personal um, you know, hidden disability needs on top of that, and just the barriers that we may not think about on the day-to-day basis that someone could be you know, experiencing that makes it that much more challenging, and how can we be a supportive community to try and help? It's not that we're going to know everything, right? And I always mm-hmm. say that some person has the same disability as me, but experience something completely different than I'm experiencing. Um, so just finding ways to kind of like you said before, Marshall, you know, having universal design and having it be as accessible as we can 
have it be and allowing people to feel comfortable to have the conversation if they have further needs than what we anticipate people to have. I think of sort of like a place that kind of touches everybody in this space is um, a transition that happens in our office a lot and that sort of what do I leave behind and what do I bring question is with our new incoming students that are either going to register with our office or should register with our office and sort of making that kind of judgment call and they may also divert from what their families think that they should do about it um, and and so you know some people are very well prepared to bring with them a connection to disability services if that's what they need and they're well prepared to bring that with them and utilize it and it's not something they're going to leave behind others may be able to successfully leave it behind but we also have a, a niche group of students it happens it's always going to happen that wish to leave it behind but then have to reflect later on maybe around midterms um or you know final grades of first semester and reflect that perhaps you know we we shouldn't have left that one behind and we got to look back at you know what what tools actually we might want to bring with us so you know i think that there's a piece of that that happens sort of with all of us you know if we think about relationships and those sort of things you know what do we what do we Think we want to bring with us from ourselves into a new you know relationship or you know friendship or a you know romantic relationship what do we want to leave behind you know all of those kinds of things we have to kind of think about it and sometimes we leave too much behind sometimes we uh, bring too much with us you know we, you know thinking about those kinds of things so i think that that's that's something we can all we can think about and, and sometimes our loved ones want us to have different amounts that we leave behind or bring with us too and and so kind of working through that and figuring out what works well for us um Sunita, you bring up a good point about diabetes that's an interesting one for our office because there are probably just as many students that register with us with diabetes then totally don't um and never do and it's an interesting it's always an interesting conversation to have when students you know do and a lot of them that do say it, it just in case I, i'm more of a just in case so they might be more of a janelle in this one uh the planner <laughs> the just in case um you know and and then we have others that that come sort of like oh my gosh like but just in case like it happened and now i need to register with you because that really was a complicated situation i found myself in and some can maintain throughout time. So that you're you're right to me. That's a really interesting one. And and sort of how others treat you when you say you have diabetes can really influence your experience too. That was a whole bunch of random statements, but there you go. Um. <laughs> cool. For that response for diabetes, honestly. It was very difficult to explain to professors about like the high blood sugar. It wasn't very easy. Only the one time that I was able to explain it is because our teacher gave us an opportunity to do a project on like a like any some sort of cancer or disease, and I was like, all right, so I'm gonna give you great presentation on diabetes <laughs> and like i'm going to explain to you the genetics behind it and how even if you get type 2 diabetes like, this can really affect you and i did the presentation in front of class but it obviously was for a grade but like everyone's like you had such so much meaning behind it i was like i know because <laughs> like 
I've been living through this. Yeah. But I guess like when you explain things, people are more willing to understand. And it, though it may have taken a process, like when you try to educate others, like even if like you don't think they're entirely listening to you, like something will come through in their mind and like at least they'll have awareness. And I think that's better than not having nothing. Yes. That's a good point. It would be nice if we had a society of what do you need? You know, sounds like, you know, you're sharing something where I may need to respond with you. What do you need? Uh, you know, what, how can I help? You know, those kind of questions. And I think those of us here on the screen are in the business of asking that kind of question, but that may not be the full view from our society. And sometimes when we're in the peak of a life quake, I mean, I'm not the best at responding, what do I need? Um, you know, when, when I'm in the peak of a life quake, I'm sort of just in face forward, one foot in front of the other mode. And that one's a tough one for me sometimes to, to seek help or to, you know, share with others what's going on. Um, that's a tool I wish I could develop a little bit more in those moments. <laughs> right, and I kind of back to your point, Erin, like it can be exhausting sometimes to constantly have to reiterate your needs and feel like, oh, can I just have a break? Can this process just be a little bit easier, right? So it can really deter people from accessing something or making a big life transition, right? Um, because it's not always easy or accessible. Um, so it kind of brings me to one of our questions of, do you believe that life transitions shape our future and or have a significant impact on our future. I think yes, <laughs> just a blanket yes, I think, I mean, it, but I also hope that every day impacts what our next day looks like. You know, I, mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to just single that out to be those big life transitions. I hope it's those little, um, you know, how Marshall was talking in the beginning, there's so many transitions that are happening all the time. So I, I, I have hope that those kind of help to create a path for people that they follow in their own kind of compass of how they move along. So I would hope both the big things and the little things do do that. But the caveat to that from with my belief system is it, it's paired up with that self-reflection and it's paired up with those asking yourself those hard questions or those um, three questions of a transition so that when you are at that next juncture, um, whether you're prepared or not, deep down inside, you've got a little bit more, hopefully comfort, um, if that's needed. And then if not, to embrace whatever is in front of you. Mm -hmm. And I think with that too, like, I think those little transitions we can go through, you know, like the like non-crisis-y or non-like super life-changing transitions, I think can be practice for mm -hmm. the bigger ones. Because I think for me, you know, when I when I think about how I handle transitions, and I am a person who likes some stability and who likes to like know what to expect gen, gen, generally, and <laughs> like mm -hmm. I don't like you know like the apple cart to be shaken too much. Um, but I I appreciate the smaller times that it's happened because it's given me the opportunity to think about like okay, like I can I can probably tell you right now how I would respond to something totally unexpected. And for me, that's helpful because I'm like, okay, I know what's not helpful in 
those those moments <laughs> like I I know me um completely freaking out and like yelling at my husband is not an appropriate response if I'm stressed about a transition <laughs> and so I feel like if I going through some smaller ones you can kind of get a sense of what works for you and what doesn't and what those points are where maybe some really unhelpful behavior comes out mm -hmm. and then the flip side is you know, if you're going through and you're thinking, okay, like for this transition, I know I need X, Y, or Z things, you know now to ask for those or to advocate for those. Um, so I think that like knowing yourself and how you react and, you know, kind of speaking to that reflection points that Aaron talked about is just so super important because I think if we can do that, then those bigger life transitions, while still uncomfortable and scary feeling, can be a little bit better because you've made your own kind of roadmap for how you want to deal with that. And I think too, a lot of what we're kind of chatting about are transitions that seem scary. Um, but there are also so many transitions that that fall into the other category of like something you're really looking forward to or something mm -hmm. where you don't have the nerves that kind of or the anxiety that go along with it. And so then making sure that you've got the tools for those too, right? You don't want to be so excited that you don't do X, Y, or Z. So making sure that that you are, are practicing those little things, those little ones that Marshall's talking about so that you can be prepared for both types so that you're not flying off the handle or so that you can truly just embrace what's in front of you and, and, and live the happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, having past experience definitely helps us in accessing, you know, our coping strategies and mechanisms that we've accessed before in the current situation, right? So yeah, I 100% agree with that. Yeah, I think we've talked about a lot of different coping strategies in terms of, um, you know, that can be really helpful. And I think when we're thinking about transitions and disabilities, just I think a good thing to remember is different people need different things during transitions and have different resources available to them. Um, some people have to advocate harder and louder than others do for assistance and guidance or for preparation. Um, you know, for, you know, there are a number of different visible and invisible disabilities where as much prior notice as can be given, um, you know, so that somebody can prepare or that you can, you know, share with them that it's, it's going to come up and going to happen, I think is can can really ease the way. And when something comes up unexpected, there's a lot of, you know, so many uncountable, you know, disabilities that we can think of that, you know, just make sure people know that there's supports available and that there are people available, even if we're not the one who can solve the problem, just to be, you know, that we can either point them in the right direction or be there for them and, um, you know, be, be of assistance for, for others or help them figure out who their supports are, um, you know, I think is, is important too, because similar to I think what Marshall said, you know, some people don't even know that they could get help for certain things that they are going through. Um, and they don't even know that asking anybody could get could maybe get them there to somebody that could help. Um, and so I think that that's a, something we can all make loud and clear that we're, we'll do the best we can to be available, you know. Um, you know, one of the one of the things Janelle's been doing for our office that you may not on the surface think is necessary, but she's been compiling a, a really great thorough list of community resources on all sorts of topics that may impact our students that 
It may not be related to their academic needs, related to their disabilities, um, and it may not be something that we're the expert on, but it may be impacting their experience here mm -hmm. at the university and, and their ability to be successful. And so, um, you know, we're in the business of what kind of things can we pull away from somebody's difficult or, you know, needs to, to help so that they can focus to the goal is to be successful here and have an experience here. So, um, you know, that that's something that Janelle has noticed is that some students can really benefit from some outside supports and resources that we can at least just share with them our, our tools that might help anywhere from transportation to legal rights and financial things um, in support. So, um, you know, I think that, you know, Marshall's crew does that as well in terms of thinking outside the box in terms of what supports are available to, to people because then they can focus back on what they're really trying to focus on to be here. Um, yeah, so I think we're going to ask our closing question, which is a question we've been asking sort of everybody. Um, so it's kind of a two parter and I can put it in the chat so people can look back on it. But um, if we could each go around and kind of say what's a takeaway that will stick with you from this conversation and is there anything that's changed for you when you think about being a disability ally or just disability stigma in general. So I would definitely agree with you, Jody, and definitely take the opportunity to get the support you need. Like you may not think you might need it, but it's always better to have like, like it's always better to have that support with you. And if you think about it, like, I don't know if like, you, if you play like video games, for example, right? You know how you have like lives to like continue going on your journey? Mm -hmm. So the support would be like your extra lives. <laughs> so you can use this to like continue on and then make yourself like more aware. And if you don't need this support, then you can just continue on with your journey. But it's always going to be to your best benefit to like take that on. And then when it comes to like going to school, I would say like, yeah, definitely try to like join like clubs, organizations, and then you'll meet people that will have like similar qualities to you. And like these professors and like the staff and the faculty, like they're all willing to help you. You just have to like outreach them and like just try to make the best for yourself. And then finally, I would definitely say that I would be a disability ally because you just never know what someone's going through and you should always be like cautious, like and conscious of what you're doing. like. Like sometimes there's like life, um, life that might lead you unexpectedly and maybe like you can't see it now, but it could occur to you in the future. So you should always just like try to live yourself like in a, in a way that you're like caring for others, but also caring for yourself and realize that may might may not be your moment now, but it could be your moment in the future. And it's always going to be okay. Like, don't worry. <laughs> Thanks, Janina. I love that. Um, I think for me, some of the takeaways, those three questions, what did I leave behind? What did I bring with me? And what do I need to add? I think those are going to stick with me uh, for sure. And that's something that I'm going to try to really make sure that I uh, bring to the students that I interact with and ask them those questions mm -hmm. as well. Um, 
I think in terms of the stigma about disabilities, I think, you know, in my, in my world and the work that I do, what I find a lot of times if somebody needs accommodations for an event or for anything else, um, they automatically go in asking as if it's a, a burden or a problem. And mm -hmm. so making sure that people understand that those needs are in no way a burden or a problem that, that we are here, we are, our goal is to be accessible for everyone. And so making sure we're providing that is critical to what we do. And so I, I just would never want someone to feel that asking for what they need to be a burden. So I, I hope that that's something that, um, you know, goes along with asking about the resources and, and getting your information out there so that if you need them, they're there. But coupled with that, it is not a burden. And to um, I just hope that that kind of fades away over time as well. Going back to what you said, Jody, that's that's much more of a societal mm -hmm. kind of component. But what can each of our roles here at the university be to support that and kind of create a little bubble here so that when students do graduate and there's that next transition, the empowerment is um, really strong. Yeah. Um, so I was serious about starting to use the term lifequake from now on. Um, and what I love about it is I think it provides such easy language to have those conversations. Like, mm -hmm. I just feel like being able to talk about transitions and needs in a transition is so important, but that can be so hard or it can be hard to even know where to start. And so I think that term just makes it kind of easy um, or easier um, to be able to engage in those conversations in a way that people can have that common language and like understanding of, okay, like now we can like move on with our conversation and figure out what we need to figure out. Mm -hmm. um, and then in terms of something that uh, is going to uh, terms change or, or like continue to stick with me is um, like, I really appreciate what Janelle said about how um, people even with similar disabilities could experience that very differently. And I think um, in terms of someone that does a lot of program design and, and communication um, around resources, that's such an important thing for me to always remember too, because we can continue to plan and to, and to try to make sure that we have as an accessible event or initiative as we possibly can. But you know, just because something works for somebody doesn't mean that that generally translates to everybody. And so I think being mindful of that and being open to hearing about people's needs as we continue to try to make things more accessible is so incredibly important. So I definitely appreciate that, Janelle. And Thanks, thank everyone. you all. Okay, I do need to give credit to the Lifequakes. So I looked it up again. So it's a book uh, called Life is in the Transitions Lifequakes by Bruce Failer, F-E-I-L-E-R. So I feel like I do need to give credit to somebody else who has coined lifequakes because I didn't. So so there, since it was so poignant for us. Um, thank you so much for, for being here with us today. This was really fun. And yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. This is great. Thank you.